Hi, welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold podcast, the podcast that covers JMU sports from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin here again with Noah Fleischman, the beat writers here to the NR covering James Madison, everything Dukes. I uh, got a lot going on right now. Spring sports all uh, all happening, big things, good and bad happening for some of the spring sports, spring football full swing. So we got a lot to hit on today. Um, no, I guess we'll start with um, the big bad news for JMU baseball this week. Chase Slaughter injury, going to be out for a few weeks. Kind of, I guess, questionable, I guess, just where things go for him and JMU baseball moving forward for the next few weeks. Yeah, I mean, he broke his foot on Saturday at Charleston in the ninth inning, running between first and second base, kind of a freak injury, and it's something that Coach Marlon Ankenberry said he hasn't seen in all his years of coaching. But then he kind of points at Chase being a six foot five, almost 240-pound player. It's a lot of, and he's quick, so there's a lot of, a lot of weight getting thrown around there. But overall... It hurts JMU, but at the same time, they've played without him already this year. They played six games early in the year when he was out. Um, so they're going to hope they can try to find success. Those six games, they missed them. That was when they lost two games to Tennessee, two games at Moorhead State. So it wasn't a great stretch, but they hope that they can kind of turn things around without him. And, and they got Travis Reeves Snyder back, who they didn't have at that point, so he's going to replace Chase out there in center field for the most part. And, I mean, Chase out for at least a month. It's really TBD. They're trying to figure out how severe the break actually is in his foot, and, and they're going from there. Yeah, we'll back up. Just if, we, if you're not a huge JMU fan or haven't been following some of the non-revenue sports for JMU, too, like we'll go back and just cover that Chase DeLauder is a big-time Major League Baseball prospect, big you know, a, a, a top-10 pick likely coming up. He's likely one of the top three college bats in the, in the country. He's on the Golden Spikes preseason and midseason watch list, which is the basically the Heisman Trophy of college baseball but also high school players can win it so it's like the Heisman Trophy of of baseball at the, this level and he's a guy who they shouldn't expect his draft stock too much but at the same time he's missing innings and, and that he can't improve his draft stock yeah and it's gonna hurt JMU I mean we we you mentioned you know, Travis Rice Snyder is he's also you know a really good player in his own right started that season playing a lot of catcher it's gonna take over for him in center field so it, it definitely makes a difference for JMU as a team, where they go from here, if they can, you know, continue to be competitive in the CAA, coming off a series sweep, um, getting swept down at Carl to Charleston, uh, losing some heartbreakers in those three games. Um, so it's kind of, you know, a little bit of turning point. I, uh, you know, could be this could be the moment that we look back on the season for JMU baseball. You know, where they go from here. And what happens to the program going forward? Because you know, we came into the season talking about Ike's job status, and you have a player like Chase Delauder. You've got a lot of good players. Things were going pretty well. You got a winning record right now, which I think is what everybody wanted to see. But where things go from here is going to be pretty huge for just the future of the entire program. Yeah, I think this is where you see what this team is made of. I mean, they've got talent in the lineup, and and we've seen that they, with. Tra- with Trayvon Dabney, Travis Reeves, Snyder, Kyle Novak, Fenwick Trimble, a freshman who's been playing unlike a freshman. He should be on the all-rookie team this year for the uh, CAA. But when you look at it, is when Chase Delauder's in the lineup, it allows you other guys to get pitches to hit. Because if you're not going to throw to Chase, you got to throw to pretty much the rest of the lineup. Now teams can kind of single out those the second-tier players and not throw to them, kind of treat them the same way as Chase, and then you make the lesser players hit. So overall, we saw that when... Chase out the first time, and, and they pitched differently to, to Trayvon Dabney in the leadoff spot. They pitched differently to Kyle Novak at the three-hole. So it'll be interesting to see how the hitters can adjust again 
after having chased the lineup for the last 14 games, now he's out again, and how they can kind of adjust to, to getting pitched differently because at the end of the day, you get comfortable, and then now they're going to switch it up again. Yeah, and, and we'll talk a little bit about just what this means for Chase as an individual because we're looking at it being well into May before he comes back. It's going to um, be toward the end of the year. Yeah, uh, not a whole lot of time. He's, you know, missed some time already yep. uh, this season, you know, after crashing into the wall. Um, so does this affect where he goes for the draft, like what he ends up doing later this season, this summer, uh, depending on when he comes back? What, what does it mean for him? Because, you know, like I said, he's a, he's a big guy. He hits for power. He plays good outfield. He's quick. He steals bases. Yeah. Like, guys that size, you know, you know, are normally guys you expect to be stealing bases out there. Um, so I don't know how much, like, this kind of injury impacts a guy when you're talking about, you know, basically a five-tool type yep. of player with his size and everything. Like, just, like, how it affects how these pro, pro organizations are going to look at him going forward. Yeah, I would say it's not an injury that will affect you in the, in the same way a pitcher and Tommy John, right? When when that will affect the way you pass physical. But I think at the same point, if he's healthy by mid-May and he they figure out whether or not to play JMU or, or not to sit out, I think he might end up playing summer baseball somewhere, whether it's in the Cape again, in the Valley League, I don't know, somewhere just to get at-bats and show these teams that this is the hitter I am, even though... I don't think they're too worried about the actual injury. I think they just want to see more at-bats. And, I mean, he's only played in 24, 25 games this year. Not a lot of games. He, of course, made his name known in the Cape last summer, dominating. So they know what he can do. I think they just want to see him do it a little bit more. And getting hurt and missing a month is really going to hurt him. But I don't think it really drops him too far in the actual draft itself. Right now, I'd probably say he'd go anywhere between 8 and 13, 14, probably in that range. Um, he could have, he kept playing, he could have worked his way up in the top six, top five, but I think now he might, it, it won't really hurt him drop, but he also can't really improve his draft stock right now. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, it also sometimes matters what teams are looking yeah. for. You know, some teams are going in there with the express intention of using their first round pick on a pitcher or, or you know, a bat, an outfielder, what, whatever. So that, you know, obviously has an impact on where a center fielder ends up going. Um, but, at the same time, you know, it's, it's, I would almost liken this to, like, if he ends up having to play in the Cape Cod League this summer or somewhere else, uh, it's almost like, you know, one of those guys who, in the NFL draft, was at one point going to be able to say, like, you know, no, I'm not going to run mm-hmm. at the, at the uh, combine. You've seen what I can do. But yeah. now maybe gets forced into doing a little bit more. And then you, then you wonder how things, you know, go for him. Like, it, it's an unfortunate situation that maybe a guy who had – a really bright future in front of him still does still has a really bright future in front of him but just it's not quite as secure where he is right now in baseball it's, i don't think it's too uncommon for you see guys go play some really good it's more of the borderline guys trying to improve their stock and and he's probably going to do that just to improve his stock and kind of stay where he is um but he also doesn't have to i mean if he say he doesn't and he's healthy and he doesn't decide to play he'll still be a first round pick just probably not as high as as Everyone has him right now in the, near that top 10 pick. And he, he'd probably still be a first-round pick just with his sheer talent. But if you want to improve it and, and get back in that top 10 talk, he's probably going to have to play this summer. As you said, run his 40 instead of sitting out before. Yeah, and that, that first round is such a huge deal when it comes to baseball. With, it, it is with all sports, but yeah. you know the way it's slated um, 
just the bonus the signing bonus situation is you know basically you get paid for where you were drafted and there's a big difference it's between significant first significant first and second. second round yeah so that, that's a huge deal for him just um as a guy you want to see uh have some success going forward um we can transition into some of uh, the other spring sports i was going to talk some lacrosse this week because we haven't talked too much about them on the podcast and they have just been on fire here the last month or so uh i wrote about the how the offense has really come alive um past two games have been their biggest out offensive outpourings of the season beating Hofstra Elon uh I was over at Santerra on Saturday seeing play Elon and it was it was just you know beautiful like I don't know how else to describe it you know if I don't know how many people that listen to this are you know what you consider experts on lacrosse Mm -hmm. but if you watch both men's and women's but you know women's in this case if you watch the sport with you know people who are novices to the sport and this is what i was told when i first started covering lacrosse is like watch this and think about like you're watching basketball how the offenses and defenses play and react to each other and everything and if you do that like just what you saw from jmu on saturday when they beat elon 18 to 2 the way they were moving the ball coming off screens like cutting every, everything about it it was just like beautiful if you're a fan of like other sports like basketball like go out there and watch this team because what they're doing right now is pretty pretty incredible and the offense and you might uh, end up liking another sport <laughs> yeah i mean you know they had the big offense valve i heard that wasn't the only only lacrosse team in the area with the big offense out for <laughs> yeah yeah well i i do actually want to talk a little bit about you know just lacrosse in the area as we get to this um i'll also mention that you know we're recording this on wednesday afternoon early wednesday afternoon so that jmu lacrosse is going to host liberty here later on wednesday right now they've won six in a row they're going for seven in a row against what's probably the best team they'll play before the NCAA tournament now, like what they have left, Liberty's kind of, you know, a top 50-ish type team, maybe even a little bit better than that because they've lost a lot of close games to good teams. So uh, that'll be an interesting challenge for JMU there. But I guess, you know, you hinted at it. You know, I'm coaching, like, my daughter's team. Uh, it's interesting, I guess, you know, what the sport is like in the Valley because JMU's not been able to recruit any local talent this is one sport where there just isn't any because there aren't high school teams around here it's sort of like growing but i i do kind of wonder like if that's something we'll see more of as jmu's success continues in the sport um and there are people around here in the valley you know harrisonburg rockingham augusta county uh that are trying to kind of help this thing grow at the youth level and like i said i'm you know kind of involved with the augusta wolves down there in the you know, Waynesboro, Stanton, Stewart's draft area. And they ended up like kind of having to split things into more teams. They had a lot more kids out than they expected this year, kind of weren't prepared for that. So it's interesting to see like how it's growing. And, you know, I know you come from Northern Virginia, Richmond, where there, there are high school teams and it's, you know, been a big deal. And that's where JMU recruits a lot of, uh, from the DMV area. Like you surprised when you come to Rockingham County, Harrisonburg, are you surprised that you don't see like as much of that as at the youth level, or is it something you've not really noticed? It's not really something I didn't really notice, but at the same time, when you look at the amount of success that JMU's program has had, you kind of think it would start to bleed kind of a little bit into the local area, which now you're starting to see, especially with the team that, it's not, they're not just good, but they've won a national championship recently, and I think that when you think about it, this is a sport that is dominant, right, in Northern Virginia, it's, it's everywhere, it's everywhere in, you know, Pennsylvania and Maryland, it's a lot bigger there, but 
think it's definitely starting to spread out here, but I don't know if I really noticed kind of the, the level of increasing play, but it wouldn't surprise me that it's increasing just because of the fact of, you know, Jamie's program having the amount of success. Um, and, I mean, if you go on the other side of the mountain, you got UVA, who's a dominant men's team. So, I mean, there's there's talent kind of locally, and now it's just the fact of can that bleed into the six, seven, eight, nine year old 10-year-old kids in the area and kind of let them grow. And then you might see in 10 years, JMU, UVA recruiting people from Harrisonburg and the surrounding area. Yeah, it's interesting. Guys, I live down in Stanton, and it's like if I start counting on my hand, like, the championship coaches that live within 35 minutes yeah. of my house you know it's like you know there's like four with Nas- division one national championships like that live you know near me um and you know one of them being shelly clays at jmu uh washington elites had a really you know good um lacrosse program just down in lexington and obviously they they brought it in at emu up here in harrisonburg bridgewater's had it for a while so the sport seems to be kind of growing but you look at like like you said, it's not something JMU has ever been able to recruit locally. Yeah. Where even like you just go over across the mountain in Charlottesville, they always have local kids like on the team from you know especially the private schools around there and stuff. Um, and you know look at other JMU sports. Um, you know, there haven't been a ton of local volleyball players, but you just get down eighty one a little bit into Roanoke, and that's where you know JMU has yeah. been able to recruit a lot. Uh, softball program was really built with like some really 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 good players from you know right within a half an hour of Harrisonburg um so how much if that can ever kind of change for JMU lacrosse it, it's not happening anytime soon no. we don't even have like like a, you know but um yeah I, I can tell you for sure uh you know Shelly talked to a uh 2030 class 2030 midfielder named Violet Metlin who ha- had five goals earlier in the day like uh, after the game so maybe, maybe that's the start of something I don't know um uh, hopefully maybe we'll get to that because it'll be interesting to see if any high school programs ever develop in this area I know down at Stewart's Draft it's something that you know they've been working on um, I don't know if any of the private schools will ever like get to that point but um, that could be you know a pretty big thing it's it's tough to ever you know dethrone softball and baseball is the big yeah. big thing in the spring here but uh, that would that would be good for JMU, I think, as a whole, if they ever kind of were able to develop a little bit more of a local scene in that sport. Yeah, I think their success, and now that we've seen them, that we see them have, will kind of help with that. Especially now moving to the American next year for lacrosse and kind of playing better competition in conference play, and that may help increase it even more. And, and seeing them kind of make runs in the NCAA tournament annually as well. It'll be it'll be definitely a different kind of competition for them. You know. There have been some good teams. The CAA was a multi-bid league last year. Uh, the American will be a multi-bid league every year. But um, it kind of it's weird because it kind of similar to the Sun Belt for all the other sports. It shifts a little bit south, mm-hmm. um, where they're going to be playing games in Florida, UCF, the University of Florida. Um, so that opens up some doors for them recruiting down there because that's a place where the sports really grown a lot over the yeah. past you know decade or so. And then they're still getting up into a Temple is in that league so you're still getting up into the northeast and the philadelphia area and stuff keeping that door open um but i think you know the bread and butter for the time being is still always going to be um you know those those hotbeds you know northern virginia maryland uh new york suburbs yeah the jamie's recruited that area um heavily for a long time so that's i guess one thing you have to look at from the conference switch perspective is 
their conference games are shifting south. Are they going to try to get you know some more of those, um, some more of those you know like a Stony Brook or you know maybe keep a Hofstra on the schedule because you know JMU kind of needs a presence in Long Island if you look at their roster um, to you know continue where they're recruiting. Um, so yeah, it's it's been definitely definitely a big turnaround for this team to win six in a row which is interesting that all of a sudden they're kind of looking like a national contender, um, which has been a little different than the years where they've made deep runs. You go back to 2018 when they won a national championship. Basically, first week of the season, they like announced to the world that they were you know, a potential Final Four team beating North Carolina to open that one up, and they were just not at that level for the first few weeks this season. Right now, it, it's hard to imagine anybody like beating them before the NCAA tournament if you just look at where they are right now. Yeah, do you think a turning point was their, their win at Maryland, or what, what do you think kind of flipped the script to get them after they had a kind of up and down? I think year? the win at Maryland was more kind of the uh, culmination of a few weeks where they were feeling pretty good. Cause, so you can go back through their schedule. They started 3-4. and four, They lost some close games. That they got beat you know, pretty handily by a UNC team that's number one in the country and probably probably the favorite to win a national championship right now. And I think if they replayed that game, Jimmy is much more competitive in that one right now. They lost to the Virginia Tech team that's only so-so by a goal. And then you go down, they had this stretch where they lost on the road to Penn State, another you know so-so team. And then they just got handed to them by Rutgers, who's good, but not that much better than JMU. Like just right now. I mean, if you if you were talking about where they are right now, you know, Rutgers is a good team. I think JMU's a hotter team. That twelve to five loss to Rutgers would not happen if these teams played again. And somehow, like after that, there was just a lot of soul searching, a lot of you know, just looking at where they were in that game. They're having trouble getting anybody other than you know one or two of their main attackers convincing them to take a shot. And something like really turned around. They won games against three ranked teams in a row. And as you mentioned, they beat Maryland for the first time in years. Um, and at that point, that's when people were like, well, okay, they're, they're really on fire now. Like, and, you know, this, this is kind of what we expected to see out of JMU to begin with. And it's, you know, someone like Isabella Peterson is capable of scoring eight goals in a game. You know, tied a program record, did that. But then they turned around, and the most recent game, they had seven players who had at least two goals. So it, it's a lot more balance, like people looking for their shots or maybe a matter of, you know, someone that talented as Bella Peterson um, creating shots for other people, but there's there's nobody like looking like they're afraid to take a shot at this point. They're they're just really clicking offensively, and you know, Elon's not great, but they're not terrible. They're not as terrible as the eighteen to two score would lead you to believe. Just looking at that, um, so it, it it's yeah, it's really been been a remarkable turnaround and. You know, as question as many questions markets there are for baseball, as much of a down year as it is for softball, there is something to follow that could potentially be a big postseason for JMU this spring. Uh, if you are looking for that kind of thing here going forward, uh, this looks like a team that could possibly make a pretty big run, and maybe even potentially if they can win out this regular season, might have a chance to like host some NCAA tournament games here in Harrisonburg which they won't get to host a CA tournament anymore like they have kind of done annually. So that, that would be pretty big to uh, bring that postseason back to uh, Harrisonburg with the, some NCAA tournament games here. 
yeah, we can move along now. Um, we're gonna hit on this every week until after the spring game, at least. But you so know, like probably week. Yeah, yeah. Even even probably after that, we'll we'll still be talking a little spring football. But you know, it's been out there for every practice. Um, we'll start off. You know, anything to jump out at you at practice, and then we'll get to a little bit of recruiting news because they had uh, first commitment of 2023 uh, on the football side. Yeah, football scrimmage for the first time on Saturday, which we weren't able to watch in person, but afterwards, Kurt Signetti kind of talked about it, and it seems like, you know, it wasn't a great day for the top two quarterbacks out there, but Alonzo Barnett really kind of, he's kind of showing what he's made of, and as a true freshman quarterback, kind of, he's in the in the conversation as like this competition, if you talk to a lot of the players, every single player that we've asked about, like the quarterback competition, they always bring his name up, even though... Most people kind of write him off as he's going to be a backup this year. Just being a true freshman, he's enrolled early, just going against the FBS transfer, and then he got Billy Atkins, who was here last year. And so seems like, you know, Kurt Signet is happy with how Barnett is really um, starting to show and starting to grow as a quarterback, and that's probably one of the reasons why he came early. And so that was, like, one of the big takeaways that he took away from, from the quarterback play is top two guys didn't do too hot. Barnett did pretty well in that first scrimmage. Of course, they're going to scrimmage again this weekend and then the spring game the following weekend. So something to kind of keep an eye on there. But he also noted they're thin at receiver, which partially is due to injury. They only have eight healthy guys right now. The other guys are dealing with stuff from, from you know, the postseason surgeries and things like that. So he talked about didn't write off the question of bringing in transfer to a receiver after spring camp is over. He, he's he's hopeful that the freshmen can come in, the guys that aren't here yet that are coming in the summertime, that can kind of impact and add depth to that room, but he, he isn't writing off the fact that they could explore their options, look for guys that are proven um, proven guys at receiver and, and kind of add to that room. Yeah. So I'll ask you a little bit more about the quarterbacks because what – we'll start with, you know, Alonzo Barnett because, you know, he had a good – run there was that you know was he going against ones and twos was the this a product of him you know being the number three guy going against third string or are they, are they mixing it up there um so in practice he's really running with the threes he gets a little bit of the two i heard during the scrimmage he had a series with the ones and did pretty well and so we'll see kind of what they do next week and then what they do in the spring game with him because I, I assume he's going to get into the spring game at some point just put him on the field, and we'll see which team he ends up running with during the spring game. But overall, I mean, he's a guy that looks good with the threes. He gets some time with the twos. I mean, they're really just trying to work him in as much as they can whenever they can get him on the field. So mainly it's with the threes at practice. Um, but overall, it seems like he even had a series with the ones, and it seems like he was he did pretty well there. Yeah. Flip side of that, you look at um, Billy Adkins, you know, Todd Sateo. Yeah. Maybe they struggle a little bit. Is that because JMU's got good defense? Is it because you know they brought in some studs in the secondary here, the transfers and stuff, or a mixture of both, or just a bad day, or like what's going on with them? I mean, it sounded like it was a bad day, but Kurt also talked about just how good a defense played at the beginning of that scrimmage. They they forced a few three and outs apparently, and they're playing really well. So I think it could be a mixture of you know not the best day, and then you've got a defense on the other side that is always seems to be ahead of the curve a little bit during spring camp. You know, just clicking more than the offense, and and so it might be a mixture of both. Not a great day, and then you just have a, a good defense on the side of the ball that makes you look even worse, even if it wasn't that bad of a day. Yeah, and you look at it. You know, the Jamie offense is probably going to look a little different. I imagine they're yeah. going to run some different things because 
of the quarterback situation. It's you know, you got a guy who has a different skill set and different mm-hmm. different kinds of talents than Cole Johnson had, as good as he was. Um, so that probably does put the offense a little bit behind here during the spring. Um, but I also kind of got to wonder, like, just you know, if the defense is that good. Plus, I, I feel like when you're scrimmaging your own team, the the, de- the defense always has, you know, the defense knows the playbook. You're not surprising anybody. You're not. Yeah. And they, they know what JMU has, what, what they're focusing on this spring to try to, like, you know, take advantage of having a dual threat quarterback or, you know, different looks and stuff. Like, so you, you got to keep all that in mind when you're looking at what this is. But um, I do wonder if this is, like, pretty encouraging for JMU's defense going forward because because they got a lot of guys back which we talked about yeah you know, they've lost some talent but you know they've got you know studs at linebacker they've got some you know really good defense they have linemen that are back there's a lot of depth there and just that's where i think you know outside of todd Santeo, and i mean i guess you know aj davis are running back maybe i'm talking myself out of this right now as i continue to go but like i feel like the excitement from the transfer portal was largely on the defensive side of the ball to, to some yeah. degree. Um, e- even, you know, considering the, the wide receivers and everything they brought in, it mm-hmm. seems like, you know, the real impact, the guys that, you know, you, you think all of a sudden like may just become superstars in the system. It seems like maybe they were on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. I mean, you got Deion Jones from Boston college, of safety. You got Jerry Sheremini, a safety from Arkansas state. So, I mean, secondary looking great. I mean, just with the transfers they added, they added Devin Coles from Norfolk State. You got Jamari Edwards, a defensive lineman from Marshall, who's just a stud. So, overall, yeah, I think outside of the quarterback transfer coming in, I think that the defensive side was a lot more of the, the flashy transfers. Of course, the offensive ones, they got they got power five guys to come in, um, and we'll see what they do. But, you know, we've, we've seen them on the field this spring, and, and some guys are not on the field. I mean, they're missing any... Any given day, twelve to sixteen guys on the field—they're all starters or key reserves. So some of the stuff you see on the field right now is like it's hard to get a gauge, and, and just because of the fact they're missing so many guys right now. Yeah, and you know, not to say that you know there's no intellectual component to the defensive side of the ball, but or that these guys don't have some stuff to learn. But JMU's defense is built a lot around like. You guys have instincts. Fly the ball, dude. Do, do your it. thing. You, you <laughs> use your speed, use your athleticism. Just get to the ball, and um, you know that's probably a lot easier to jump right into, like yeah. when you the second you get on campus, as opposed to right now you've got quarterbacks and new receivers and everybody who are all kind of trying to learn, learn the playbook, learn each other, everything else. Like as opposed to you know Cole Johnson having been here for six years and like basically knowing exactly to the inch where his receivers are going to be yeah. like on a various play call. Um, so that, that'll be interesting to see how much that does just kind of continues to develop here over the next couple of weeks before we really get a look at them for the spring game. Cause that's when, you know, the first time, like really we see a whole lot of what they've got there. Yeah. So Nanny talked about kind of with the quarterbacks, they're throwing a lot of pass plays at them right now, just to see they can kind of get a, get a gauge of what they can do and everything. So they're throwing the ball a lot more, during practice, and I think they will actually in the season, but that's just to get a gauge on who's doing what, you know, as well as you know, just trying to get them comfortable with a different throwing. But as you said, dual threat quarterback, I think no matter who the starting quarterback's going to be this year, I think we're going to see more of that design run option stuff mixed in, as well as the, the usual JMU offense, and I think 
That's exciting, and, and especially with the move to the FBS, that's kind of the move that you look at a lot of these dominant programs, that's, that's what they're moving towards. Yeah, and um, we'll take a little bit of a look at recruiting now because uh, they got their first commitment for 2023, which is, you know, the, the focus for so long has kind of been on the 22s and not only the 22s, but the 22s who are already on campus yep. here for spring. Then plus the transfer portal, the guys that are on campus and waiting to see what's going to happen when everyone's finishes spring ball and the transfer portal heats up again. So it, it is interesting to take a look at what they've got, where they're going for class 2023, because that's kind of heating up now and they got their first commitment with a tight end from uh, the Stafford, Fredericksburg area over there. Yeah, they got Colin Carroll last night, um, kind of a late night commitment around 8 or 9 o'clock. I mean, it caught me off guard a little bit, but, you know, yeah. it was all good. I mean, he's a tight end that's going to play, I think that's going to fit right in the system. He talked about how JMU uses their tight ends, excites him about they block, but they also get put as a receiver, get put in the slot, run routes, catch touchdowns, you know, the, the things. I mean, he's a guy who, in high school, he's done that. 24 catches last year, 637 yards, 11 touchdowns. So, I mean, he's a proven guy that catches the ball. He also said he likes to block. He, he's a tight end that likes to do it all. And, I mean, he's gonna he's your first commitment of 2023, and he's a guy that had FBS offers. Um, he told me he had a narrow down between JMU and Arkansas State, so two Sunbelt schools, and he decided to stay closer to home and, and, and pick JMU. But he's the first one to do it, early commitment, and, you know, he's ready to – I asked him, like, why, why come in now? He's like, you know, he just wants to enjoy senior year and not have to worry about coaches showing up to games and stressing about that, so – they got their first one, and I think throughout the summer we'll probably see some more sort of pop up and, and moving forward. Yeah, and you told me there was one thing that I think uh, the Jamie fans listening to this will love about, yeah. you know, one of the reasons that he – one reason that kind of jumped out to him about JMU, um, what's he looking forward to in his freshman season? Yeah, I asked him kind of like why I picked JMU, and one of the things that jumped out to him was playing at UVA was like – one of the deal breakers and and once he saw that on the schedule that announcement he was like that excited him about coming to JMU on top of he said JMU was the only staff to to stay in contact for a long time he said he showed up at his mailbox one day and there's a stack of letters from every single coach on the staff he got a letter from all of them handwritten he said it was like it made him the happiest kind of it made him really happy just walking over to school check the mailbox and boom a stack of JMU letters there and and they've been sending him kind of these recruiting graphics you've been seeing on Twitter with the guys' names edited on jerseys and kind of, like, staying in contact. And he said that that was something that spoke to him was, you know, this is a this is a, a university that is committed to him, and so he's kind of returned the favor and committed to them. Yeah, that's something that I've seen a lot on social media. It's interesting you mention it, is that, you know, the guys posting, um, having a stack yeah. of letters that's thrown on the counter or, it's, you know, sending on a desk or holding you know the whole stack of letters from the whole staff at JMU uh that that's been definitely a noticeable and interesting approach for JMU as they seems like it worked yeah and they've got to it you know they got to figure out something um because we've talked so much about the FBS move for um so long it can be easy to forget that not everybody follows everything as closely as we do and the people who listen to this do or the people who read us. Um, so just reminding them that, yeah, they're moving to the Sun Belt. They're playing the FBS. They're playing UVA and Virginia Tech in the future. You're gonna, you get those games. That's been something that's been keeping that in the forefront of everyone's minds, you know, how much you know, the random high school kid follows the news until like they you know, 
pull up the schedule mm-hmm. next week and you know next fall and see where they're going to go for visits and like oh yeah they're playing ODU and like this is a totally different situation um you know keeping those figuring out a way to make that JMU brand pop out is something that's you know obviously always been the key and it's key for every program but it, it has been fun to see interesting to see that like you know so much on social media is like that's something that everybody seems to post is like those pictures of like getting all the letters at the same time from every coach and um seems to be something that they've uh, effectively done here and uh so it's 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 definitely noteworthy to see that that paid off for their first commitment for 2023 yeah i think it paid off so i think we might be seeing more stacks of letters on hit mailbox um soon and seeing on twitter but i mean overall colin carroll a good get to start i mean he's not ranked anywhere kind of under radar kind of guy i mean took a visit to duke i think a couple weeks ago so he's got the talent He's the kind of tight end that Jamie will kind of utilize as both a, a blocker but also get out in the, in the space and, and catch the ball. And so we'll see him on campus in 2023 after he graduates from, from Mountain View and Stafford. And I mean, I'm sure we'll have more commitments rolling in sooner than later. Yeah, no, you know, maybe any, any time here in the next few weeks we'll probably also start to see that uh, transfer stuff begin to happen. Yeah. Whether, you know... It'll be a couple of weeks before we see anybody leave JMU because they didn't like the way spring went. But um, here soon, other other places are wrapping up spring ball, so we'll Some probably see, have been gone. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be seeing some names in the portal and already starting to see those. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how many spots JMU ends up available here when spring's done, because uh, that'll be another thing to uh, keep an eye on. Yeah, they said they left a few open, I mean, coming into spring ball with, with some scholarships, but I'm assuming you're going to lose a couple. So they'll probably have a handful of scholarships available to the years, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them. I mean, I definitely expect them to, to jump back in the portal and, and nab a few. I mean, Signetti talked about wide receiver. I'm sure that'll be a, a top priority if these guys, just because of health and in wanting add depth, and then you go from there. And One thing, position I don't think they're going to look at is running back. I think they're, they're pretty set on running back. Yeah, it ne- never ends with the uh, the transfer portal these days. Well, that's that'll do it for us today. I'm Shane Metlin. You've been listening to me and Noah Fleischman talking some JMU sports on the Purple and Bold podcast. Thank you for listening.